everyone. My name is John Russos, and this is the Here's My Thing podcast. The thing that I appreciate about boba shops is that the employees don't make you feel like you're ruining their lives when you ask questions. It's something as simple as, what is milk tea? Or, what are the balls made of? I think it'll still be treated as if it's the first time they've heard someone ask that, probably adding a pause for dramatic effect as if they had to think about their answer. Even with a line out the door, asking ridiculous things at the register, do you peel back the plastic lid before putting the straw in? I don't think it would annoy anyone working there. There's a genuine interest for your emotional well-being. It's at coffee shops where if I ask more than one question, I'll get an eye roll that a 15-year-old might give a parent who told them that vaping was bad. Anything after one question is answered with tang. If I was curious about a flat white and wanted to clarify what that drink is and why it's $5.50, but if I've already asked them how they're doing, I'll have to trick them into a polite answer, saying, a flat white, that's the one that's flat and white, right? The other cool thing about milk tea shops is that there's no one writing a novel in them. And no one goes to curb a crippling caffeine addiction, and not walking in thinking they're going to be productive, but instead expecting to get lost on YouTube for a few hours. And that's only if you go there thinking you're going to work. Because like the spot I was at last week, there were couches and board games. It wasn't a boba shop, but a living room with a $5 cover. The other day I was getting milk tea at this new place in town with my friend Bray. A couple next to us took a boomerang of their drinks when he told me about some of the double entendres from Eminem's latest album. Apparently with each listen through, he'd catch something new. A few tapioca balls settling in my mouth. How many times have you listened to it? Eight, he said. The first time I ever heard Eminem, I was in the back of a Toyota Sienna, and my friend's mom had picked us up from summer camp and, per request of her son, queued up Lose Yourself. Throwing up was my biggest fear when I was younger, so when Eminem said, vomit on his sweater already, mom's spaghetti, it was more than just ruining my ride home. He painted an image in my head that I still see to this day, something of a man in a gray sweater, already covered with ambiguous stains, hurling on himself. During high school, there was a CD in my mom's accord that had nine of my favorite songs on it. There was no Eminem. Five of the songs were by T-Pain, one of them was by New Boys, and the last few shall not be named. The Accord was a safe space for me to listen to music that I called my guilty pleasures, a place where I could judgment-free math along with Ray J. They weren't mainstream songs at my high school by any stretch of the word, a school that instead of the Pledge of Allegiance, played Calvin Harris's Feel So Close. There was one time during my freshman year where I voiced my support of Tyler the Creator, and someone in the circle looked at me as if I said something anti-Semitic. His rebuttal, odd future fucking sucks, and then walked away. I dated a girl my senior year who, when Feel So Close came on, and put her right hand over her chest, and with her left hand put in an earbud that had Nellie's Dilemma playing. The Dream Girl. Her name was Jenny, and I'm almost positive that one of the only reasons she dated me was because I listened to T-Pain in a not-sarcastic way. Jenny was one of the few people who was granted the privilege of listening to that CD with me, but the only one who knew all of the words, too. We weren't creatures of habit, but getting Boba was always the default hangout. The drive meant we could run through the CD, and I'm not sure if there's anything more romantic than listening to I'm Sprung, knowing you were about to score two-for-one milk tea.
when you're in high school, getting milk tea past 10 p.m. is the closest thing you can experience to nightlife because it's the only business model that caters to teenagers with no curfew. Not that you talked to anyone else besides the people you came with, but there was something about occupying space and having to talk a little louder than normal that was exciting. One of the first times that Jenny and I hung out it was at a spot that reminded me of where John Travolta took me in Pulp Fiction. Bright lights, a place to be, but instead of complaining about a $5 milkshake, I was hoping my card wouldn't get declined over $3 worth of tea. We got there around 10 p.m., had our own little table to ourselves. I didn't think she was into fashion, but she was always fly, and effortlessly so. Not having to think to color coordinate an outfit, sometimes putting in big hoop earrings because why not? On this particular night, she wore pomegranate red lipstick, leaving evidence in between sips of her drink. Jenny and I rarely fought, mainly because I thought she was way out of my league, and any mishap on my end would have resulted in her sending me a, hey... We need to talk text. She was telling me a story about her dance competition, and I was looking into her eyes. And at that moment, not thinking about the details of her choreography, but how lucky I was to have her right there with me in that moment, and that I better not fuck this up. The Five Freeway is a tale of two stories. Heading home at 1 a.m. left us all of the six lanes to ourselves. I don't think it was because my card didn't get declined, but I felt very grateful because I had finally found someone to sing along with me the words, she ain't going to tie me down. Everyone, my name is John Russos, and this has been another installment of the Here's My Thing podcast. Thank you for rocking with me. Until next time.